0: Will you join me in welcoming Tim Buxton to the stage? Tim, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, You've already had a big weekend. Uh, We're doing three services and online today. Um, But Tim, on on Friday, you were speaking at a TED Talk. Uh, For those who don't know what a TED Talk is, um, it's this online platform where different influencers get to share their ideas that that matter. And so that gets streamed out to hundreds of thousands of people. So that was Friday. We have got three services today, three services next weekend. But I wanted to open this morning with something you said on Friday in your opening statement on that TED Talk. You said, on June 9th, 2014, a relatively unknown rebel army stormed across the Syrian-Iraqi border and in just one day had captured Iraq's second largest city, Mosul. Infamously known as ISIS, the world took notice as they went on a violent campaign to establish the Islamic Caliphate and no one was going to get in their way, especially vulnerable, ethnic, and religious minorities. On that same searing hot day in June, just 40 kilometers away at the Erbil International Airport, my young family also arrived in Iraq. So we've got a picture uh, behind me of this particular day uh, when all of this was taking place. I'd love to know, and I'm sure we all might be wondering, what is your story? Tell us a little bit about your family, and how is it with, with just young children, you ended up in a country that was at war?
1: Well, firstly, thank you so much for allowing me to share today and to talk on this important issue, um, and I must make a disclaimer at the beginning of this, and uh, my... Um, we got off a 40, uh, I think a 40-hour plane, sev- um, several plane flights, and my beautiful wife behind me, I used this in the opening um, s- screen in our TED Talk, which I did actually last night. And um, and it was, uh, and I did this disclaimer then, and I'll have to do it again today. Uh, I didn't get permission to show this photo, so I'm definitely going to uh, double it up. Asking forgiveness once again, but um, she is uh, my hero and I want to take the opportunity again to acknowledge you, Sarah. You're remarkable and uh, thank you for following us and our family and where we've gone, but that day... My goodness, uh, we were oblivious to be honest, we had no idea as you can see, um, this is the only photo we took because it was 45 degrees heat um, and you don't want to be hanging around and we had no help at the airport, we had all these luggage uh, luggage to try and um, make our way through. And so um, we finally got drove the two-hour winding road to this new hometown of Saram, which was through seven army checkpoints and two, uh, three mountain ranges to this beautiful town of Saram, which I'd been before and kind, kind of felt great to have finally, you know, we'd spent a long time preparing for this, finally got there, and then the locals said, hey, guess what, um, you know, uh, yeah, ISIS has is invaded and we're just like, well, who are they? And everyone else is just figuring out who they are. And, and um, you know, for the next few months, really, um, you know, there's those moments in time when you face adversity and you realise I can either kind of run away or I'm just going to dig my tent pegs just a little deeper. And um, with the incredible hospitality of this town... And the locals there, and our colleagues that we came to work alongside, they made us feel so welcome. And um, you know, I would never forget this this kind of. But it was kind of surreal, and I never forget this story where there was this. Um, you know, in the home that we lived in, it's they're always bare, empty. When people move, you know, from home to home, they take everything, even the like literally, even the kitchen cabinets get out, off mounted off the wall and go with them to the next place. And so we had this. Absolutely nothing but tiles everywhere because it's you know it's a hot climate. That's also snowing half the year, so it's very cold in the mountains as well. So you've gotta, you've got to deck your whole house out. but it, um, I remember this guy was fixing blinds in our home. and, um, and then um, the next day this local guy was there in the bazaar, local bazaar where I went in and there he was, perched on the side of the road with his uh, knapsack and a gun slung over his shoulder and uh, a few minutes later a Toyota Hiace picked him up with a jam pack full of other local men and he was taken straight to the front line to fight um, and protect um, that front line. Um, and so, mate, it was it was a real surreal time for us as a family.
0: Wow. I, I, I've met a lot of people who have um, uh, packed their suitcases and moved to other countries, or quite a few of us have packed our suitcases in other cu- countries and moved here, but I've never mo- met anyone that's done that and moved to Iraq. Um, wh- what, what stirred that in you? There, there, there must have been a calling, a, a sense of purpose that both of you guys felt for, for moving young children over there as well. What was it that, that started that passion for you?
1: Yeah, both Sarah and I. are, um, You know, we are so privileged to have had such wonderful parents that um, gave us an example of what it is to to serve. Both I was born on the mission field in Indonesia. My parents um, then served with the Dani people in West Papua, and um, and Sarah's family also served in missions overseas, and and have just we inherited. Um, we can't lay claim to this. Look, I'm just um, a wonderful person. And we were taught. We had so many people in our lives that have shown us along the way what it is to serve and love. But I think deep down there is this always been this calling of I want to go where no one else wants to go. I want to be for the ones that nobody else wants to 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 really care for and talk um, even talk with. And so. Um, um, I've tried to, to follow that. You know, I've not always done a great job, and, and, and I think we, uh, we always have our insecurities in life. But yeah, and I, the first time I went there actually to Iraq was because my, my boss, I was working in New York at the time, coordinating um, humanitarian teams. And my boss was asked to go to Iraq, um, and he's the missions director, and he said, "I'm not going. Um, but you can go, Tim. And I said, sure, count me in, you know. At the time, my wife was pregnant with our first um, daughter, Eliana, and um, I don't know how pleased she was that I actually went, but I jumped on that plane and went to Iraq in 2010 and just fell in love with the people and the place, and um, I knew that uh, one day God would bring our family there. And I remember coming back super excited to tell Sarah, hey, guess what? (laughs) she's like no okay three years later you know I in every every few months I'd be like can you just at least pray and she'd be like no (laughs) but she did and God you know God has a way of, of speaking to both of our hearts and at the right time God spoke to her and she said let's go and, um, yeah, that's how we got there. Yeah,
0: that's incredible. You spent three and a half years over there working with essentially people who are fleeing from ISIS. Um, and this is a big part of your ministry now. But uh, for a lot of us who are only seeing images on the TV screen, and, and that's, that's basically our knowledge of what uh, refugees are. Can you unpack for us what is a refugee? What, what is a displaced person? What is their story?
1: Yeah, so in that video you heard there's 80 million displaced people. Well, it's now 82.4 million. Um, and it's growing rapidly. Um, the conflict and war in the world, the natural disasters, uh, displacement. Um, you know, 40% of those that are displaced are children. Um They've had to leave their home for no fault of their own. No fault of their own. They were just at the wrong place the wrong time. And um, they are courageous. Uh, they were our teachers when we were in Iraq. They taught us that they knew how to make a way. They knew how to find a way to survive. They led their families. Um, and, and so... Uh, one of the things I've realised is, and one of the things we, I even shared in my TED talk was actually this idea of how, how about we change the narrative of really what a refugee is because they are the most, on one hand, they are the most vulnerable people to all other forms of, of injustice in the world. Like we think of um, human trafficking and labour exploitation and we think of all these kinds of of, of just severe poverty, Right. But those that are most vulnerable to falling prey to that are those that are displaced. And so our heart has always been, well, we want to go to them to make sure they don't fall prey to those kinds of other gross injustices that are out there. And so on one hand, they're extremely vulnerable, right? But on the other hand, they are the most creative, finding a way, making a way. So I I posited Let's stop calling them refugees, IDPs, who wants to be known by an acronym? You know, asylum seekers, people seeking asylum get labeled illegal immigrants. Labels are power, they create a narrative, they create emotion in us or queue jumpers or boat people, whatever we want to call them. How about we start calling them waymakers? And so that's been a, a passion of mine um, and something that I really feel called to.
0: Amazing. I, I love that waymakers. Uh, something you mentioned in the video, you said everything you're in is temporary. Uh, there's, there's a picture behind us uh, of one of these, these camps. What does it do to someone to know that their future is uncertain? They don't know what country they're gonna live in. They don't know if their family's gonna be safe. Everything is temporary. What what type of effect does that have on someone?
1: Yeah, you know, there's uh that that camp actually behind we we, we actually um that went up in like seven days. And and there is a moment and a time when emergency housing needs to be put up, but quite often those camps those situations become a prison for people you know and um we all love to go camping right we all love to we're Aussies you know we're probably the ones that go camping the most for our holidays and and we love it but we also love it when we get to go back to our nice warm bed and don't have to (laughs) dust the sand out of everything that we're in right um uh, when you're stuck quite often in and don't have the freedom to come and to go and you're trapped, how on earth can you rebuild your life when everything around you is screams that, that you don't belong? And, uh, you know, I've got this... You know, we, we actually had to evacuate at one point. The ISIS was getting closer to us. And, um, and our NGO just said, please get out as safely as you can. And, and um, you know, that wasn't a, a fun experience for us as a family. But you know what I had? I had this. I had this Australian passport. I also had an American one, proudly married to an American wife who also has an Australian passport too. But we had this. Now, I, I didn't earn this. I didn't... I don't deserve this. You know, they, they're trapped. They don't have the freedom... And the opportunity to come and go and, and uh, it, it's, yeah, it breaks your heart. It really does. And so, um, you know, it, it can be the most difficult thing to rebuild your life. But if we can come alongside them, if we can give them not just pity, but realize that they are creative waymakers, that they can actually rebuild their families, they've led them to this point. You, you wait, they will, I promise you, um, prove, prove everybody wrong and um, show us the way and be our teachers.
0: Yeah, and, and you you founded an organization, which we'll talk about more soon, that really helps create that pathway for uh, people, especially coming to our shores here. I wanted to ask you, Tim, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, a few years ago, I was living over in Norway, where my wife is from. And uh, there's this uh, retreat center, like a camp, about five minutes bike ride right away from where we live. And I used to take my children there; would throw them on the bikes, we would go down there, would play at this park. Um, a few years ago, uh, around a hundred um, refugees from Afghanistan ended up uh, living in this retreat center, and I had no idea they were coming. And I, I rock up on my bike one day, and, and suddenly it's it's the whole camp's filled with people from Afghanistan. And my first reaction was one of, you'd almost say fear. Fear of the unknown. I've never met someone from Afghanistan. I see these different things on the news, and and, and there's there's this, like, elevated tension that I, I, I suddenly felt. However, I still went over. I went to the playground, started talking to some of the parents. Our kids started playing together. And this sounds so weird, but my thought was... These guys are just like Aussies. There's such a warm culture. They're really, really friendly. And I think often, you know, we can be afraid of the unknown. But I wanted to ask you a question. What are some of the common misunderstandings that we might have about refugees or in particular when it comes to those from Muslim nations?
1: Um, thanks for your honesty and vulnerability about your own you know sometimes feelings you know we all we all do that we all prematurely judge and, 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 and have, you know, um, feelings of anxiety. We might walk up into a group of bikies and think, oh, gosh, you know, like I'm scared, I'm afraid. But, you know, they can be some of the most incredibly wonderful, loving people. And I want to flip the script a little bit with you on that because I want to know how you feel when you go into your workplace or into your school or wherever you might be in a group of friends and they, you say, oh, I'm a Christian. And there's that like, and you feel like you have to spend the next like five minutes kind of, well, I'm not kind of like one of those kinds of whatever Christians you might be thinking, or these kinds of Christians, you know, all the, the different kinds of Christians out there, right, that we're like trying to figure out, well, I just, you know, I'm a normal person, you know. And 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 so, so I think it's helpful for us to realise that, you know, um, the the Muslim people we lived, we were in this town of 150,000 people. There were only, like, three or four families um, of Western background, yeah, in this town. Like, we were, like, yeah, we stood out. Um, and But they welcomed us, like, honoured guests. And they were 99% Muslim, and they uh, were our neighbours that would put their lives on the line for us. Uh, I remember for a, a time I, I, I went um, 10 days to go back to the States um, just to try and raise some money for the work that we were doing and I left my wife and, and children there. And the neighbours, right, Sarah, they all every day were bringing meals. They were sending their elder daughters over to help Sarah with all the children. who She was homeschooling at the time. And, uh, again, you, she started a preschool, by the way, and empowered local teachers there. So, uh, if you get a chance to talk with Sarah afterwards, you, you're going to talk to a real hero. But, but this this in, incredible generosity of spirit that um, I talked about labels before. you know we've got to look past labels. You know I would I would share on a weekly basis, um, I had these friends that would come over to my house or would go to the, this, uh, some other location and we'd just trade stories about Jesus and they would try to convince me that they love Jesus more than me. Jesus is in the Quran more than any other prophet. Did you know that? And their heart is pure. Like there's a there's a, there's a longing and a loving in their heart. And and I think um, you know, so much of our ideas and prejudices that we think can just be shattered if we just see someone as a person. Um, and just open our hearts to listen to their story. And drop. You know, drop the labels you know and and just uh, do that so I mean that I mean that's what I would encourage you to do because we all sit here and carry labels that we don't want to be defined by. we don't want to be defined by our, our our relationship status of our past or a disease or 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 whatever that might be that you're carrying um, just um, see and moving close to one another and
0: I love that. I think you're just saying they're people. You know, I think sometimes because people might come from a certain country or might have a a certain belief system, we can uh, fall into that labeling or fear or whatever it might be. But I'm like looking at this little boy, you know, up on the screen behind me in the car waving and, you know, every person matters to God. Uh, and speaking of, um, you're holding the Bible there in front of you. What, what is it that, that that you see in the Word? What what is what does the Bible um, teach us when we are to welcome and 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 love the refugee?
1: Yeah, well, when when I look at the life and teachings of Jesus, I mean, you asked me before what is the you know to think of a few scriptures, and I'm like, man, like I could just like I mean. We'll be there all week looking at scriptures that speak to this topic. But I think if Jesus were, were here today and we'll walk into this church, this synagogue like he did all those years ago and take a passage from the Bible to read, I think he would have gone to Isaiah 61. And, and let me read what he's, he, he, uh, he said that day in a synagogue. He quoted a prophet from the Old Testament he said the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news. That's what the gospel is to who? Yeah. The poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to who? The prisoners. To and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um Jesus' whole life was for the outcast, for those that didn't belong. And he told them, guess what? There's a religious system. There's a government and political system that says, you're a leper. You don't belong. What he did, he put a big circle around him and said, no, you're in. You belong. People that were morally dubious in society's eyes, pointing the finger at them, he said, you know what? You're one of you. You're in. You're. I love you. And um, he went to. I mean, with the Good Samaritan, the story you had on the uh, on the screen for refugees. You know, he. I mean, he's like, we got to cross ethnic and all these other boundaries to just bring freedom and life and hope to those that. Um, that yeah need help and so uh, the 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 old Testament even right I mean the widow the the orphan, and the alien were often grouped together more often than not, and so all throughout the testimony of 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 this, this book that we I'm holding in my hand is this heart for the foreigner, for the stranger. You know, there's actually a Greek word. There's seven Greek words for love, and one of them is, is, is xenia. And that actually um, means love for a stranger. Um, it's this hospitable love for a foreigner. Um, and I think many of us forget that that is the very heart of God, Um, ...is um, to not forget the stranger and the foreigner. They actually built cities of refuge for people trying to flee...
0: It's incredible. I love even just the way you're saying that, that uh, the heart of Christ is that you belong, that all of us, that we belong in in the family of God. And then also, that's the name of your your ministry, and your organization is You Belong, that that people who are coming to our shores, uh, even though they are from different countries and different cultures, that they can have that sense of belonging as well here uh, I've got a picture coming up, I believe, uh, Tim, and this is uh, at a camp, I believe, in Iraq. And I wanted to ask you a question. Um, I know on my journey, I've traveled a lot, lived in many countries, especially developing countries, and, and uh, worked a lot with water projects and with poor people. And there's been many times in my own ministry where I've found myself in situations and I've just been simply overwhelmed is too much. The, the, the poverty is too great. What can I possibly do? And, and just been many times in the last 15 years where I've been in those situations where um, it, my environment was a little bit different from yours, but you, you, there's, here's a picture uh, of you just contemplating looking out over a, a camp there. How do you wrestle through um, the, the tragedy and the challenge and the uncertainty of some of the things that you and your family have witnessed?
1: Um, to be quite honestly, I, not very well, <laughs> sometimes. Um, and I think um, it, it can be overwhelming. You know, we, we, I don't want you to walk out of this room with such high and lofty thoughts of, of Sarah and I to an extent that, you know, many of us are, are facing a really tough time in life in fact um you know we've we've had some pretty bad news here in the family just recently and then um you know I've tried to do things in my own strength and got burnt out um even this year there were times where for like a couple of months every morning um, my anxiety was so bad that I would be throwing up every morning my my kids would just um my youngest, I remember, he just looked over at me and, and he would think it's funny. Daddy go, ah, ah, ah. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, um, I want you to know that, um, that we can't do this in our own strength, you know, and we can only do this as we really lean on God's spirit. We talked about refugees being waymakers, Right the greatest thing is we have a way maker who can who is inside of us leading us on as we allow him to make a way for us so just want to encourage you like I, yeah don't always have might not be the greatest answer for you <laughs> in that question but don't always um have the you know get it right um so, yeah.
0: Uh, no, I really appreciate your transparency. And um, th- that, was, that wasn't planned. That came out in the first service, and, and I think it even took you off guard. And, and I said, no, I think that's so important that people realize, you, 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 you know, we see these amazing pictures up on the screen, and, and you, you know, in many ways, you, you're doing incredible things, but there's a cost to it, and there's challenges with it, and, and, and sometimes it is overwhelming. And I think uh, to recognize the reality of that is just, it's, it's sometimes just what it is. And I love... Uh, what Sarah was saying in the video, just, you know, how, how Jesus goes back for the one. And uh, I remember even in my own experiences, sometimes just, just similar, just overwhelmed by what I'm seeing and what I'm doing. And, and just like, w- w- am I even having an impact? But then there's one, and then there's the next one, and then there's the next one. And, and, and just I, I feel God just gives me, uh, in my personal journey, just that, that heart to keep going a little bit further, and then a little bit further, but yeah, really appreciate just um, your transparency and openness with that question.
1: Just ask for help too, Mm. when you need it. Just ask for help. Sometimes that's the bravest thing you can do.
0: Yeah, that's great. You started an organization a little while ago that's based here, uh, and I believe in America as well, called You Belong, Um, which is helping us engage in uh, welcoming people. So, share a little bit more about that and how it started.
1: Yeah, so we came back. We actually had to evacuate again <laughs> from Iraq. Um, there was quite a lot of political tension um, and uh, the, all the land borders were closed and we actually got one of the last flights out. And we, we were going to decide either to stay or to leave, but Sarah was pregnant with baby number four. And so um, we were like, okay, okay. Um, Let's just let's just get. We we're planning to go home for a break to have the baby. So we just just literally packed up in twelve hours and and left and and uh, haven't been back since. And um, well, I have, but there uh, so hasn't been. And um, and uh, we we um we came back to Australia pretty beaten up and broken. But you know, God. Um, we discovered, like, within a month that there was two and a half thousand Iraqi and Syrian refugees now living in Toowoomba. And, and many of them were Yazidi, and these were many of the people group um, that we were working with, uh, Shabak and, and Yazidi. There's a slide of two men hugging. Um, can you put that slide up? Um, uh, I need to tell this story, if that's okay, John. Um, I didn't tell this in the first service, but um, those two men in any other time and place would be enemies. One is uh, Shabak, Shia Muslim, who had to flee his town. They got He took his group of 23 family, left within an hour before ISIS came into their town. They were ratted out by their neighbors. They were the first group that we built a camp micro village for, and the other group is uh, Yazidi men who fled ISIS from Sinjar Mountain. And they lived side by side for three and a half years, shared pain and sorrow. And that is actually an embrace of them having to say goodbye because uh, Mosul was liberated um, from ISIS and they were the first ones to have the courage and the resiliency to go back to their hometown and rebuild their ravaged town after ISIS had been kicked out, um, and so back to to back to to discovering that now some of the families who couldn't go back to their hometown and languishing in refugee camps and would gone through the whole visa process, which can take several several years, you could be waiting in a camp for five ten years just trying to get a visa, were coming to Australia. And I just wanted to meet them. So I would get in my car and drive the three and a half hours once a week up to Toowoomba. I was Uber driving. I didn't know, like, I was just didn't know what we were going to do to live. You know, we just left. And I I just drove and I just spent time with these families. I could speak the little bit of the language and I just knew that their hospitality would be my healing balm. And out of nowhere, met some incredible people in Toowoomba that just had such a heart and they are leading an incredible work up there. And we are doing English programs and trauma recovery programs for not only adults, but we've taken a a Hero's Journey program. Um, into this public schools to help the children process and walk through uh, life adjustments we've got now driving mentoring so they can get their license especially for women who feel trapped and, and not need that independence um, there's so many things happening people have a heart to serve and, and it's it's grown and we hope to, to expand it not only here but but around around the world where refugees and we still have a heart for, You know, 85% of the world's refugees are living in undeveloped countries where they can't even care for their own citizens. And so there's still a part of us that want to be part of that too and and be uh, a help where the need's the greatest. But right here on the Gold Coast, uh, interestingly enough, Um, This was just before COVID, but I think it still stands. The government had made a decision that 50% of all future refugee settlement were going to be in regional zones like Toowoomba and Armidale and Wagga and these other towns. But guess what? The Gold Coast got reallocated as a regional zone so that it could be a future recipient of refugees. So I think we've got um, an opportunity before us to be part of something great.
0: You mentioned that in the first service, it, it, my, my mind just started going, you know, what does that mean for, for us as a church or a family of churches, you know, to respond to those who are coming to our shores? And um, there's a video we're about to show that I think really captures the heart of what you guys do with your ministry. So why don't we just take a moment and watch the screen?
2: Hi, my name is Rahila and I live in Toowoomba, Queensland. Before we moved to Australia, I was quite scared coming to a country where basically everything is different. There's a lot of good stuff. The fact that I can work, I can go to uni, and also the fact that I'm safe. Currently, I'm in my second year of law degree, and I work at Bunnings. (laughs) I love it, and I love the people. I've learned a lot of Aussie slang. Well, actually, I learned this uh, from my team members. I'm going to use the Dunny which means I'm going to use the toilet. Art is my hobby. I think art shows someone's identity, who they are, what they love, and what experiences they've been through. My art is an expression of my culture, my identity, and I want to share it with the world. To belong means love, respect, kindness, and sharing.
0: Isn't that a great video? So, Tim, uh, lastly this morning, as I think this is important to recognize you pulled out your passport before. You know, most of us are citizens, or residents, or so we have visas to be here. And uh, as people um, who are a part of this society, but also as believers, and then also as, as, a, as a family of believers, as a church, what is our role here? Or what are some practical ways of, of how we can be involved.
1: You know, one of the first things we did when we wanted to reach out to these newly settled families, you know, uh, Waymakers, was we hosted these welcome picnics. And we just got the whole community out. We put the word out. We got jumping castles. And we just put on a spread of food on the ground like they would eat. Of their f- local food, and you know some good Aussie tacos. You know the sausage and a uh, bread. We made sure that that they, you know, there was this sense of like, "Hey guys, welcome to Australia," but we want you to feel at home. We want to feel that you are loved, and and so you didn't. Ha- all you had to do was show up, and just you probably couldn't talk to them, but you could give them a smile. You could probably... You know, we've got a podcast called Who Is My Neighbor. We really believe that education and helping people understand the incredible stories that these... You know, Rahila, what a amazing woman. Like, the future of our country, you know, is in good hands with girls like her. And so, uh, incredible stories of, of, these, of these people so you can learn, you can obviously give to our work. We really um are just a new organization. We've only been around a few years and it's it's just getting off the ground, but we want to be prepared and ready to 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 continue expand our work into other places and and it takes finances to do that. There's ways you can volunteer um and hopefully maybe we'll host an interest night one day at time soon here on the Gold Coast and look at ways that we can develop a greater work even here in our own community so there's so many ways you can get involved stop by the desk and um, pick up a card and i'm sure we'll yeah figure out a way